This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, September 9th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, in for Steve Peasley today, and I look forward to doing this show with you and answering your finance and investment questions. That's our main goal here. The show is dedicated to you, our listeners, and that means the phone line, the phone number is always open for you to call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is 888 chart. And I've got a packed podcast for you today, but you know, it's it's summertime and it's I know it's hot here in LA, it was 98 degrees, even here in Laguna Beach, it was in the, the low 90s. And Tropical Storm K off the coast of Mexico is making its present felt here in Southern California. It was raining today. It felt like Hawaii. It was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, there's been some flooding and there's still a total of 15 large incident wildfire fires burning in the state. And I can smell it as well. So it's a, it was a weird day here in Laguna Beach. You smelled fire, but you saw rain and you felt mugginess. Uh, that's for sure. So, but in Montana, where there's more than 30 large instant wildfires burning. It's also very hot. And I think most people are just about ready for the fall season after this uh, latest heat wave. But that is what happened today. And you are less intrigued with that. Uh, you're intrigued with what is happening going forward, because that is ultimately how you invest is how you is you invest just like you drive through the windshield. And my focus point today is in regard to the strong dollar and the fact that it's wreaking havoc across almost every economy in the world, every country in the world. And this is all because of the Fed's tightening policy. And we're going to dig into the details of uh, how it's affecting the world economy as a whole. I also want to touch on earnings. I know I, I believe it was was it Wednesday uh, or Monday or one? I guess Monday, we didn't do a show Monday. It was a holiday. So I will have it Wednesday. I talked a little bit about earnings and I want to drill down a little bit more on big tech earnings, but the FANG names and what have analyst estimates been for earnings and the change in those earnings over the past 90 days or so. So we're going to check in on that and what is expected for those big cap earnings versus the S&P as a whole. I also want to touch on ESG and what is called the fiduciary duty, which means you have to act in the best interest of your clients. Now, we are a registered investment advisor, which means we are fiduciaries. We have to act in the best interest of our clients. And so we know a lot about what the fiduciary duty is. And I think there's a good argument that the ESG mandate uh, goes against that. So we're going to dig into that because, you know, as ESG marches on and is used as a marketing tool for all parts of the financial world, it begs the question, 
you know, does it violate the fiduciary duty, which a lot of advisors, RAs mainly, uh, fall under. So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, does it make sense to pay off your mortgage in retirement? So we're going to look at the pros and cons as we enter a higher interest rate environment. All right. So those are things that are on my mind, but ultimately it's about you. It's about your questions. And we have some voice bank questions ready to play. It is Friday. I'll share some highlights from the newest KPP premium newsletter as well. I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, I'll take your live calls at 888 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. Today was a very bullish day. 61 points on the S&P back pushing north of 4,000 uh, after a fall through from yesterday's modest close above that number. And this is definitely an oversold bounce, but it's been a pretty strong bounce, which is interesting. Going into next week, as we have on Tuesday, the CPI number, which is going to be very important for how the market perceives the future of Fed policy. And, you know, we're going to see, we're going to see how uh, that comes in. Are we rallying into that? Is that a buy the rumor? Is the rumor that that's going to miss? I actually think it is going to miss to the downside, which would be positive for the market. Uh, but, you know, we shall see. We definitely had very bad sentiment once again. We had bad sentiment in June. We had bad, bad sentiment earlier this week and late last week. Uh, I just, just talking to callers, talking to uh, people that, you know, we, we touch base with uh, regularly. And I always got that sense. Everyone was like, oh, I want to hold off. I don't want to invest because I'm worried about the market. I usually get that near the bottoms. You know, most people get scared when there's the ripe opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, we've had some ripe opportunities in the market over the past three or four months. But unfortunately, people don't see it that way. They, they see it as they see it emotionally. And um, that's not the, what we try to preach here on Invest Talk. We try to preach consistent, logical, down to earth thinking and weeding out the emotions. And so, if that's one takeaway that you get from the show is to don't be beholden to the numbers on your screen, right? The price movements, you need to be beholden to good portfolio construction, to good asset picking, whether that's individual stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, real estate, whatever it is, and understanding the fundamentals. And that will see you through the times where most everybody else is getting emotional, but you will be the one picking up the opportunities. And that's what we So, you know, earnings for this quarter expect to be up 5% year over year. That's pretty good. Not terrible, not amazing, but, you know, pretty decent. So uh, it's something that you need to take into account uh, when you have this type of volatility. What are the underlying fundamentals of the earnings in the marketplace? Okay. Now let's go to Ken in Maryland. Let's talk about covered call ETFs. Right. Are you familiar with those? And is that something you would buy for your clients in a portfolio? Well, we run a covered call strategy ourselves. It's called uh, Equity Income Plus. But we use individual stocks, uh, just like a, a, an ETF would. But most of these ETFs are following some index. You know, we have, we're, we're leaning our clients towards. Uh, towards energy, towards industrials, towards commodities, towards uh, real businesses and not story stocks, right? And we're buying uh, in that strategy only 
dividend paying stocks, which most of these, uh, you know, when you're following an index, there's some dividend payers and some not, not dividend payers. Um, so we like the idea of a cover call. It does moderate the volatility of an all equity portfolio. It, in great years, it will hold it back a little bit. Uh, in bad years, it will give you a nice hedge on the downside. In oh so so years, oftentimes you'll beat the the overall uh, indices. Um, but ultimately, it's about the underlying asset because a covered call is you're buying a hundred shares or you know, hundred share increments of a stock, and then you're selling call options to bring in more premium uh, to hedge on the downside, uh, bring bring more income into the portfolio, etc. And if you do it right. Uh, like we do, then it will boost overall returns. But if you pick bad assets, it doesn't matter. So, right. So if you're, if what you're, about these? They have particular uh, ETFs that play the indices on a covered call, where you're buying more than just one stock, and they uh, put in the covered call for you on the ETF. Who's, uh, I mean, they're doing that, like, for example, QYLD is one that I get called on a lot. That's the NASDAQ 100 covered call ETF. That's what they're doing. In there, right? they're, they're, they're owning the underlying NASDAQ 100, and then they're selling call options. And I'm not sure what they're, there's a lot of different strategies on how you roll those options and manage those options, etc. I don't know exactly what they're doing. Underlying asset is the NASDAQ. And so if the NASDAQ goes down, I don't care how good your covered call strategy is, you're still going to lose money, right? So you, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather run an individual strategy and run a covered call strategy uh, than uh, buy one of these ETFs. Uh, but is this better than owning the queues itself? I would argue yes. Okay, so if you're... Apples to apples, right? The, the same index, uh, non-covered call strategy or a covered call strategy. I'm picking the one that has the covered call strategy, but I wouldn't want to own the cues. So I don't want to own it in either instance. Thanks for the call. Now we're heading into a break and it's Friday. The weekend is almost here. I'm ready to tackle your finance and investment questions now. You pick the topic. So call InvestTalk at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. 
You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, on Fridays, Steve generally makes time to fit in a quick rundown of key benchmark numbers. So let me hit that list right now. Now, the two-year Treasury yield was at 3.56%, up from 3.42 last week. Now, a year ago, that was only at 2.65, 2.65, and I'm sorry, that was 12 weeks ago. And 25 weeks ago, it was at 1.96, and 37 weeks ago, Less than a year was that 0.64. So you can see how far the short-term rates have moved basically since the Fed pivoted. Now, the 10-year yield, 3.31 at the close, a little bit up from 3.19 last week. And let's see, 30 weeks ago, it was at 1.98. 35 weeks ago, it was at 1.76. So it's, uh, it's also made a big move, and that's why you've seen mortgage rates continue to march up towards that Six uh, percent level. Gold at seventeen fifteen per ounce, up about five bucks from last week, and continues to be kind of in this trading range between seventeen hundred and nineteen hundred on the top end. Silver eighteen eighteen an ounce last week, eighteen dollars an ounce, so up only about one percent on the week, and still remains in a long term trading range. No oil at eighty six dollars and twenty eight cents per barrel. Uh, down slightly from last week, 87.37, but still 37 weeks ago, it was at $66.62. So you continue to see year over year, uh, it's an increase. But as we get more towards the back half of the year, suddenly that becomes more difficult. And the uh, from the inflation perspective, you know, hanging in this uh, $90, $100 range uh, is going to mean downward pressure on the inflation rate. Now, the national average for gasoline uh, was at 373, down a tick from 380 last week. And uh, about 28 weeks ago, it was at $3.57. So it's still you know, well above that number, but certainly coming down from the high of, let's see, when was that? About 10 weeks back, $4.84. So a uh, nice over dollar drop over the past two and a half months here in California, $5.34. And 16 weeks ago, that was at $5.87. So we've had some relief, but not nearly as much as the rest of the country. Now for comparison, in Ohio, the gas pump today is averaging $3.57. Wish you can get that here. So that was the rundown of the major, major data points that are feeding into our overall economy. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Puma fifty one says, "I've been saving and working at a down payment for working at a down payment for a house, and obviously, no one can predict the future. But what do you think about the outlook might be for housing market for twenty twenty three twenty four? I'm twenty six. I live in New Hampshire, and it seems very it seems every house is up here is overpriced and much older. Uh, I would be very patient. Uh, typically, housing markets run in." three, four year cycles, and we've just started the down cycle. We're probably six months into it. Um, so I'd be extremely patient, especially if mortgage rates stay in the five, six range. That's going to mean we're going to reset our prices uh, nationally back to 2017, 18 uh, levels. So I think we're going to make a, a round trip uh, from the COVID bump in a lot of markets with rates where we're at now. Okay. So I'd be patient. 
Now we're heading into a break and I'm ready to take your calls live at 888-99-CHART. got a portfolio to grow and protect, so get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this headline. A strong U.S. dollar is wreaking havoc across almost every country, and a lot of people don't pay enough attention to this. It's uh, uh, the the importance of the dollar in not just our country here in the U.S., but around the world. And it is the reserve currency. And a lot of people have prognosticated that the dollar will lose its status as a reserve currency. But just like our treasuries, that's uh, kind of the cleanest dirty shirt at the moment. And the dollar is soaring to new heights, despite, you know, big deficits and uh, the Fed continuing to typically uh, turn to low interest rates in QE, but now they're going the other way, right? They're on an aggressive tightening cycle, really the most aggressive in a generation. And rival currencies are going lower in relation to the dollar. And this is driving up costs for imported goods, constricting financial conditions, and pushing inflation higher. And this is putting pressure on central banks around the world to follow suit, to raise rates. Uh, Places like Australia, Canada, New Zealand, they all are increasing their interest rates. And that's also putting downward pressure on their real estate markets, especially Australia and Canada, and I guess New Zealand as well. They're all... They all have very expensive real estate markets. Uh, in some ways, they never corrected from in 08, and they continue to rip higher. So uh, definitely some of the worst places to buy real estate right now with higher interest rates. Now, globe, uh, the, 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 the tightening cycle that the Fed is on isn't new, but this is the first time that the episode has hurt developed countries more than the developing countries. Typically, think of the... Uh, the Asian currency crisis in 98, the Thai bat, that's an emerging market. Well, so far this year, the advanced economies on a trade-weighted basis against the dollar are down 10%. That's a big move for the advanced economies. While emerging markets are only down about 3.7% so far this year. And that has been pushed by countries like Brazil and Russia because they are commodity rich. So a lot of developed countries are not commodity rich and therefore they're going to have, they're going out there and having to print money in order to acquire the dollars and to buy those, those commodities. Whereas countries like Russia and Brazil don't have to do that. Most of it's coming internally. Now the ECB raised their, uh, their rate by 75 basis points to kind of fight the parity, right? Dollars at parity with the Euro for the first time since the late nineties. And the yen is also dropping to the lowest level in decades. And this is putting pressure on them to abandon their very loose monetary policy at 0.25% and kind of follow suit with the rest of the world in the U S by raising rates 
Uh, but so far they have not done that. Now, across 31 major exchange rates, this is tracked by Bloomberg, only four, four developed ones were among the 10 biggest losers this year. And only one, which is the Canadian dollar, another energy-rich, commodity-rich country, those are that's among the 10 best performers. So you can see this is kind of driven by whether you have to import raw materials or not and, and energy. And so this is, a, in a lot of ways, an energy-driven sell-off in the currency markets. Remember, Japan is an island. They have to import. That's why they have, they're restarting their nuclear uh, facilities because they just can't afford to continue to import more and more natural gas, which is basically what they've been doing since uh, Fukushima. And, you know, this is, typically this breaks things. Uh, another factor is that the developed markets, they tend to be in the most debt and have the lowest foreign currency reserves. Whereas a lot of the, those developed countries, they don't have as much debt. They've been exporting uh, goods consistently, whereas a lot of these developed nations have been importing goods consistently. So, you know, the, the, the big caveat here will be, you know, if the Fed does pivot, that will certainly help uh, the, the situation uh, globally. But that's a big if, uh, and we'll know a lot more on Tuesday with that CPI number. Uh, but what's interesting is, it's already started to move, right? The dollar's pulled back a bit. The euro's rallying uh, against the against the dollar. Even the yen today was pretty strong against the dollar for the first time in a while. So this is something to watch because remember the yen is the third largest traded currency in the world. The euro is the second. So and these are in massive downturns uh, compared to the uh, compared to the dollar. And when you have dollar denominated debts, but your income is in another currency like a euro, like a yen, and those are down dramatically, that suddenly becomes very difficult for you to repay those debts. And that's typically where you get these crises. That's what the Thai bot was. It was they had too much debt and their, their currency fell. Uh, and, and that's kind of what you're seeing now. So be on the lookout for this. This is, this is likely where any anything that breaks is going to, uh, it's going to be, the catalyst will be the currency uh, movements because currencies aren't supposed to move, especially major currencies aren't supposed to move 10% uh, in a year. That's a giant move. Usually it's with, within 5%. Um, and now, you know, this is creating havoc around the world, like I said. Now we're heading into a break, but I will be sharing highlights from the newest KPP Premium newsletter in a few minutes. But I want your, your calls most of all. 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process. 
designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. listening to invest talk and the market has been interesting so you'll have important finance and investment questions and steve and justin welcome your calls now invest talk 888-99-CHART hi i was hoping to get an analysis on one main holdings uh, ticker symbol o m f i'm really attracted to the dividend it's a little over 10 percent at this price it's a $4.4 billion company. They have a, it looks like a decent track record. I'm not sure if it's a dividend trap. The company have enough of a cash flow, operating cash and assets in general, and is their trajectory appearing to be on the right track? Or is it one of those that just keeps issuing shares and cutting the dividend over time? So I'm not sure what the charts are telling you or what the valuation should be. It's been on a downward trend for the last couple of months, and I'm not sure if 35, 36, if that's a reasonable price, or if I should just be patient here and it may go much lower. Let me know what you think. I thank you for your analysis, and I'm a huge fan of the show. I'm learning a lot. Thank you. All right, great call, and this is and appreciate the the kind words. Now, this is one main financial OMF is the symbol, and it's one of the largest non-prime consumer finance companies in the U.S., one of only a few companies in the consumer installment lending industry. And 
that's the issue here is that it is highly focused on the consumer and that's why it's been in decline and earnings are expected to uh, come down from $9.86 last year to $7.74 this year and basically remain flat next year as well. Now that 10% yield looks nice and juicy, uh, but the big question is, can they afford it? Now, if you look at its balance sheet, they have a lot of debt, which is not uncommon for uh, a lending institution, a type of bank. This is basically a very high risk bank. Uh, now their cash dividend payout ratio is pretty low, about 39%, which is makes me feel good. Uh, but their free cash flow, let's take a look at this. It has flattened out. And I think the biggest worry here is the consumer and whether they're going to see a rash of defaults on these like you have in the auto loan space. You're starting to see those pick up as people have to pay their mortgage, they have to pay their car loan, uh, pay their rent, you know, all these things that were uh, put on, uh, you know, moratorium. Uh, same with your student loans, it's going to, you're going to have to start paying back uh, if you have more than $10,000 in that, uh, you know, next year. So all of these things are going to put more strain on the consumer, you're already seeing the uh, labor market weaken a bit, not dramatically, but uh, a bit. Uh, and so that's going to mean lower pay, less jobs, uh, et cetera. Probably not to the extent that we saw in 08, but you know, certainly uh, at the margins. And that's what the market's kind of pricing in. Now, the question is, has it gone too far, right? Because this is down uh, about 38% from its 52-week high. And if you go based on this year's earnings of roughly eight bucks, you know, that's pretty cheap. You're talking about a, a five times multiple. Now they are buying back shares, so that's good. So this, like you said on the call, is this a company that is perpetually issuing shares? No, they're not. They're actually using that cash to buy back shares. So I like that. Now the return on equity though, that's the 33% now, and that's pretty good, but that's been coming down from 42% late last year. Uh, and historically longer term pre-pandemic, that was closer to on average, the mid, low to mid teens, which is okay, which is solid. Um, but this is just going to be a very volatile name. And I would not expect that dividend to be sustained because of the, the credit cycle, right? The credit cycle is moving the other way. There's going to be more and more defaults, not less and less. Now, once again, the market has priced some of that in and has that been enough? That's a very difficult thing to determine, especially uh, me right now. Um, but it does look pretty cheap on a lot of metrics and the technicals are starting to look a bit better. So I would, I would actually give this a thumbs up if I'm looking at a chart, let me take a look here. Yeah, it does have major support around $32 per share. Now it's at 37. I'd probably pick it up and use that 30, call it, it's called $30 per share as you're out. And you know, if the credit credit cycle doesn't turn as bad as the market is expecting, this could be a pretty nice play. That's OMF one main financial. Thanks for the call. Now, the KPP Premium Newsletter was finished today, and I will be distributing it to subscribers tomorrow morning, and I have a preview. Now, in the market conditions section, we explained that after a steady decline that started in the middle of August, stocks were slightly up this week. With the planned Fed meeting in two weeks, every new piece of economic data will be scrutinized. We are in, the, we are in a market where bad news is good news for equities. 
With every new data point suggesting an economic slowdown, it gives the Fed less of a reason to be aggressive and thereby putting less financial strain on the market and economy. Inflation in Europe has been accelerated by runaway energy prices, which have soared since Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February. Price increases in Europe are also being seen in food, clothing, cars, and household appliances and services. So it seems that Europe is now in lockstep with U.S. policy rate hike. Now, the Beige Book is anecdotal information collected by the Federal Reserve on current economic conditions. It was published with numbers in line with expectations. Consumer spending remains steady with slight shifts from discretionary goods to food and essential items. Now, due to weak demand for imports, the U.S. reported a sharp narrowing of in the July trade deficit. That was a positive sign for short-term economic growth, a potential warning sign for the global economy. Since the U.S. trade deficit remains wide by historical measurements, it reflects the strength of the U.S. economy compared to other major economies. Now, next week, the CPI report will be published along with retail sales. These will be important data points which the Fed can use to establish their tone for its next meeting. Now, in the stock ideas section, we focus on a company that has been primarily engaged in the sale of precious metals, including gold, silver, palladium, and cobalt. It operates approximately 24 mines and eight development stage projects. These provide exposure to four areas of the precious metal industry, giving a diversification among the space. Over 90% of the company's sales come from gold and silver, which are residing in oversold territory. The company currently has a P ratio of 25, and its stock trading near its 52-week low. We've also looked at a provider of building and industrial materials. The the company manufactures a range of insulation, insulation, roofing, and fiberglass composites. Its projects can improve air quality, fire hazard safety, and energy efficiency. The company has consistently grown both earnings and revenue over the last two years, and it looks to continue on that path. With very strong fundamentals, we see this as a solid value position if you are looking for exposure in the industrial space. We name names in the newsletter. Now, there's a good deal of valuable information in every week's version of the KPP Premium Newsletter. And when you subscribe at investtalk.com, you will receive the newsletter each Saturday morning via your inbox. You can subscribe at investtalk.com. Now, let's pivot over to earnings and big tech earnings. We're going to talk about Apple, Tesla, Amazon, Microsoft, and Alphabet, as well as, well as NVIDIA and meta platforms. Analysts are cutting down earnings estimates for these mega cap technology stocks at a faster pace than the S&P itself. Now, the average big tech company has been has seen consensus analyst earnings estimates for the third quarter fall 21.4% over the last 90 days and projections for next year's earnings 11.3% decline on average. That compares with The S&P as a whole of 5.8% decline in third quarter estimates, right? 21.4 to 5.8, it's a big, big gap. And a 33.1% drop in 2023 expectations during the same period. So you can see that analysts are much more negative on the trends in those large cap tech stocks. And you would say, well, what if they're cheap though? What if they're cheap? Well, Based on those forward-looking earnings, remember forward-looking earnings that have already been downgraded more dramatically than the S&P, the average mega cap stock trades at 38 times earnings, 38 versus the S&P, 16.7. Now, you would say, well, these are just a handful of stocks. The problem is, is that these 
these handful of stocks account for a quarter of the S&P 500's value. Remember, the S&P is, is market cap weighted. So the bigger the company is, the bigger percentage of the index it is. And so that's the issue here. It's very, very top heavy, very similar to 2000 when you had a lot of the, you know, the Qualcomm's of the world just being dominant within the major indices. And you have the similar setup right now. Now, only one big tech stock has outperformed the S&P 500 this year. Apple, down 13% this year, whereas the S&P is down about 16. And that's why I always said, of the thing names, Apple's always my favorite, just consistency of their business, the best franchise, best well-run, uh, and it's never really that expensive. It doesn't get to the levels that, you know, the Amazons and Googles and, and Netflix have been uh, on, on a multiple of any type of cash flow earnings, uh, et cetera. And so you can see that uh, this year and why it's uh, it's been the only one to outperform. So I wanted to highlight that because uh, a lot of people get a lot of calls on the, the big tech names. And unfortunately, uh, people are overweight to those names, either through their index that they are invested in through their 401k or just their regular account. Uh, and you know, it's a time to diversify and better values are in that mid and small cap space. Let's go to Sunny in San Francisco looking at SQSP. Um, hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, sure. I'm calling in to get your thoughts on Squarespace, uh, symbol okay. SQSP. And what do you like about it? Uh, I think the stock has been beaten down quite a bit in the last year or so. Um, and they seem to be operating in a very uh, niche space. So I'd like to get your thoughts on what you think is the long-term play for this company. All right, looking at Squarespace, and this is a company that lost a bunch of a bunch of money in 2021, but uh, it went IPO mid 2021. Now it's supposed to make 64 cents a share this year, 54 cents a share next year. Earnings have or revenue growth has decelerated pretty dramatically. It was a 31 percent a year ago. Now it's only nine percent. Uh, but then, and the earnings are kind of all over the place. Definitely not a lot of consistency there. We do use their scheduling software called Acuity. Uh, so uh, we like that. But there, if you look at their enterprise value, EBITDA 134%, return invested capital negative 8%. And it, it has been oversold. And the chart is looking good near term. But I just think it's still too expensive. Uh, remember, it's supposed to only make 50 cents next year. That's a 50 multiple, forward-looking multiple. That doesn't excite me, okay? And when you look at the profitability, return on invested capital, negative 8.6%. Return on assets, negative 4.5%. You look at the number of shares outstanding, now at 139 million. Uh, and that continues to, uh, was that, a, I guess there's not a lot of history here, but it was 136 million when they went public. So they're just, uh, they're still issuing more shares. And... And it's definitely a growthier name. The good thing is they don't have a lot of debt, but still trading at two I multiple for my my blood. Um, once again, probably going to get a near term bounce. The technicals are looking pretty decent, but I only see upside into the low 30s. Now we're in the low 20s. So if you want to play it for a trade, sure. But this is not uh, a great long term buy at these levels. Thanks for the call. Now we can invest talk calls from across America and around the world. Let's play a question that came in earlier from the United Arab Emirates and beyond me. 
Hi, my name is Ali. I'm calling you from the UAE. I'm looking at BYND, Beyond Meat. I've owned it before, and I did really well with it, but I sold it on a, on a, at a good time. I think that it really, has really come down significantly, and I think that's probably because of falling sales. But I just want to get your idea as to a good entry point. It has shown a bit of strength recently, and I was wondering what a good entry point would be. If you could let me know, uh, that'd be very useful. Thank you. Bye. I'll put it simply. Zero. Now, there are a handful of stocks in this cycle that uh, were their valuations were built up on a ton of hype, a ton of media and interesting new ideas. Uh, Unfortunately, a good handful of them were businesses that were actually never really businesses because a business is out to earn a profit at some point. And most of, there's a lot of these names that have not, have never made a profit and likely never will. And Beyond Meat is one of them. So if you're talking about a a place to get in for a long, it's zero. For a short, maybe now, (laughs) right? Um, So absolutely, thank your lucky stars, you got in, it was a nice trade, you made some money, you got out at a good time, right? Because we're pushing on 52 week lows now. Uh, And Sometimes you do that, you know, you bet in the wrong name, but you get lucky at the right time and you make a good trade. But just cause you made money at one time, doesn't mean it's going to always, uh, you know, you go back to that well and it's going to uh, feed you. Uh, in fact, <laughs> Beyond Meat is not feeding that many people uh, right now. And because revenue year over year is down 2%, gonna lose another $1.53 this year. So it's gonna lose $3.53 next year. It's a $22 stock, they're just burning capital issuing more shares. This is, this is a zero. Okay. Uh, Peloton, another one, another type of name was operating the best industry ever, best uh, industry backdrop ever, and couldn't make money. Beyond Meat was hyped for a long period of time. And a lot of people got into the meatless craze and it's still being sold, but they've never had their gross, their gross margin is 6.7%. Their operating margin is negative 65%. Think about that. For every dollar in revenue, every dollar in revenue, they're losing 65 cents. It's crazy. So just stay away from this. It's a zero. Thank your lucky stars and move on to companies that make money. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Herbert in San Antonio. Let's talk about earnings calls. 
Uh, hello, Justin. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I appreciate uh, your podcast. I listen to it diligently. My question today is on a company, ticker symbol uh, C-O-D as in Delta, I. And I was listening to an earnings call the other day, and basically they have $1.3 billion in debt. And the CEO was saying he has all of that debt locked in with unsecured bonds at five and a quarter. What exactly does that mean? Well, he's just saying that their debt doesn't need to be refinanced anytime soon. Uh, I don't know what the maturity schedule is. Doesn't sound like he talked exactly about that. Uh, but you know, the fact that corporate borrowing rates have gone up a lot with interest rates, and if you can, if you're locked in at five and a quarter, that's a pretty solid rate <laughs> compared to what most um, industrial companies are getting right now. And I think that's. That's what he's talking about. That's that's good. Uh, if you are uh, you know a bit worried about their business and the fact that maybe uh, you know they might slow, it does look like it's slowing a bit. Um, but it's just talking about their corporate debt uh, structure and the fact that it isn't uh, in imminent need of being refinanced at a higher rate and therefore a higher interest cost that would feed into their cash flow statements and their earning statements, etc. So that's uh, that's likely what he's talking about. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you so much for clearing that up. I just wanted to make sure I have been investing in this company for about two years. So mm -hmm. just wanted to make sure that that was covered. But thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on ESG. Now there was a big untalked about event last month, and that was that 19 state attorney generals wrote a letter to Larry Fink at BlackRock warning that BlackRock's ESG investment policies appeared to involve rampant violation of the sole interest well-established legal principle and the sole interest rule requires investment fiduciaries to act to maximize financial returns not to promote social or political objectives and two states louisiana and indiana went even further and they issued a warning that their state pension boards that the esg investing is likely a violation of their fiduciary duty and this means that state pension Board members, investment staff, investment advisors may be personally, personally, personally liable if they continue to allocate money to ESG managers like BlackRock, Vanguard, or State Street. Those are kind of the big three that have huge market share within the uh, ETF space, have garnered trillions and trillions of dollars of assets, and kind of push the ESG uh, idea. Now, this is putting a spotlight on really what could be an explosive, undisclosed con conflict of interest of these big three promoting ESG criteria uh, against US companies, but not Chinese companies. And they point out that in 2021, BlackRock exercised its proxy voting rights in Exxon. And that's a big thing here. Remember, these companies who uh, own these ETFs, they have the ability to vote on behalf of shareholders. And they did so in Exxon because they're the second largest shareholder. And it, had, it forced Exxon to cut oil production and sell some of its oil fields. And what was interesting is that the oil fields were being acquired by PetroChina, and BlackRock is one of PetroChina's largest investors. Black, Black, in fact, BlackRock has an enormous stake in PetroChina. Uh, they've owned between 
one and two trillion shares over the last five years, representing five to 10% of the overall ownership of the company. So why are you, you're owning both companies and you're just basically forcing one to sell to another? How does that help anything, right? Uh, and this is a warning to public pension plan trustees who are under the same fiduciary duty as BlackRock. And this could be the death knell of the ESG industry if you're forcing BlackRock to live up to their fiduciary duty. And in fact, if you look at the uh, report from June of this year, found ESG funds appear to underperform financially relative to their peers, and they charge a higher fee, a drag of 1.45% annually. So if you're investing for ESG, but it's, you're giving getting worse returns, now you're in violation of your fiduciary duty. And this is something to watch because this is going to go to the courts and each pension company, uh, pension plan is under its state law. And this could change the dynamic of the pension industry and the ESG world as well. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, going forward. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads and our official Invest Talk download count crossed over 45 million mark on Wednesday. Thanks to you. Get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.